Father, I want to thank you for Jesus, that from him and through him and to him are all things, because he is God in the flesh. And Lord, we thank you that we needed Christ, we need Jesus today, but we don't just live in a posture of need. God, we don't just need Jesus, we have him, and we praise you for Jesus, that you so loved us that you gave your one and only son. And so, Lord, I ask that we would listen to your word, learn the truth from a position of faith, believing all that you say is true for us in Jesus. And, Lord, I pray not only for those that are gathered in this room, I pray for those who are not able to gather with us in this room. Lord, I pray for Pastor Brian. God, we thank you for his service, his ministry, his friendship through the years. And, Lord, I pray that you give his doctors wisdom and skill as they work with him. Lord, use them as instruments in your hand to bring about his quick and full recovery. And I pray that in this time of weakness that he and Ellen would personally experience your grace to be sufficient for everything that they need. Lord, we thank you for them and we thank you for what we believe you are already doing to bring about his strength. Lord, I also pray for Pastor Ralph Nygaard and the family of believers at First Baptist O'Galley. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged today. I pray they would be filled with the knowledge of Jesus that they would know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for our partners in the gospel, both in this community and among the nations. Lord, we ask all of these things in the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you guys have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5? 1 Peter chapter 5. We are really coming down the home stretch in our study of 1 Peter. We really only have basically two more times together in this letter before we've preached it verse by verse all the way through. And I just want you to know that as we come down these closing verses of 1 Peter chapter 5, what we'll see is that Peter concludes this teaching, this letter to these people um, with very practical things. This morning, he is going to be sharing with them uh, the teaching of the scripture concerning anxiety. And I, I know that you and I live in the same world, so you know as well as I do that uh, that that issue, that topic of anxiety is as appropriate for us now as it was 2,000 years ago. Just think about these individuals who were receiving this letter and what their lives were like and the kind of anxiety that they would be facing. Most of these people, or many of them at least, when they came to faith in Jesus Christ, they were alienated. They were estranged from many of their family members or friends. And though they, they experienced that unique kind of anxiety when close relationships in your life are strained or broken or they're damaged because of something. They, they also lived in a work environment. We know that many of them had bosses that were very unfair, work situations that were insufficient for what they actually needed. And so they lived with a kind of anxiety that occurs when you wonder, where's your next meal going to come from? Or, or where's your next paycheck going to come from? Or, or that thing in your stomach that kind of sinks when you wake up in the morning and you know you've got to go into a workplace that is less than desirable, less than something that you would want to have for yourself. We know that all of these people receiving this letter were living under a corrupt government. Can you imagine the kind of anxiety you'd have if your government was corrupt? That these people had a corrupt government that just was ramping up its persecution of followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, many of them would be facing a situation that would not just bring persecution, but some of them death 
if they continued to follow Jesus Christ. So they had that kind of anxiety that occurs when you're living in life and your, your health or your safety or your way of life are threatened by circumstances beyond your control. So there were various sources of anxiety in their life, but you can imagine why it would be that Peter would conclude his, his letter here with some teaching on what the Bible, what God has to say concerning anxiety. And I thought about sharing some statistics that I had researched this week, and I decided to just forgo that because I don't think you need statistics to tell you that anxiety is a part of most people's life. In some way, shape, or form, all of us are tempted to worry and anxiety in various ways. And there's something I want you to know right off the bat as we discuss this idea of living as a follower of Christ in the midst of anxiety. There's something I want you to know, and it's that God does not want you to live in the captivity of anxiety. God God does not want you to leave this place with your life bowed down through the weight of worry. And God has made a way for you to live today with the peace that comes from knowing his love and his power. And so this morning, my prayer is that for all who have entered this place with hearts that are heavy, with lives that are tempted to be anxious about any given thing, that you would leave this place filled with the joy and the peace that only comes through Jesus himself. And so with that in mind, let's look at this teaching from the word of God in 1 Peter chapter five. I'm gonna begin reading in verse five. Now we covered verse five last week, but it's a good introduction. It leads into the teaching in verses six and seven. First Peter chapter five, beginning in verse five, I'll be reading out of the English standard version of the Bible. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the word of God for us this morning. And here's how I feel led to approach this passage of scripture. Many of us have grown up in a church culture and these words feel familiar to us. We've heard about casting or throwing, placing all of our cares on God because he cares for us. And so what I felt led to do is take those words from verses six and seven and bring them together into a big idea, a big idea that will sort of guide our teaching and learning this morning. And what I wanna do after we go through this big idea from verses six and seven is I wanna conclude with how how this type of truth has helped in my life. I've shared with you many times uh, throughout the years as a church that I have lived with a lifelong battle of anxiety. I, I, I was born broken in my own sin and in my brokenness, I have a tendency toward an anxious spirit. And so I've been in a lifelong battle like some of you with anxiety. And I want to share before we leave this morning how these types of truths have helped me in my battle that still is a battle for me against a spirit that's prone to be anxious. So let me give you the big idea for this morning. If you're the kind of person who writes things down, I'll say it more than once because you'll need to hear it more than once to write it all down. So here's the big idea and I get all these words from verses six and seven. God is strong and caring. God is strong and caring. So remain humble under his mighty hand. 
God is strong and caring, so remain humble under His mighty hand by throwing all your anxieties on Him. Let me give you that one more time, all of it together. God is strong and caring, so remain humble under His mighty hand by throwing all your anxieties on him. That's the big idea. I get all of those concepts and ver- words out of verses six and seven. Now let's look at that big idea one phrase at a time. Here's the first one God is strong and caring. When we come to this conversation about living with anxiety, Peter very intentionally brings up something. In verse six, he reminds us that God has a mighty hand. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And for those of you who know the Bible, you know that's a phrase that's used commonly throughout the scriptures. It's a description of how strong and mighty God is. And when the Bible uses that phrase, the mighty hand of God, we're being called, we're being reminded into this place of contemplating just how strong and mighty God is. And so I wanted to write down just a couple of instances from the scripture where the mighty hand of God is referenced and share how those passages show us just how strong God is. You can write this down we won't turn there. But Isaiah 48, verse 13, there's a reference made to the mighty hand of God. And in that passage of scripture, it's talking about the fact that God, by his might and his power, created all things that exist in the heavens and on the earth. It was by the mighty hand of God that all things in this universe have been made, and by his mighty hand, all things in this universe are held together. And so that got me thinking about just how big and mighty God is in the creation of this universe. And a few weeks ago, I was leading a devotional for our staff at Merritt Island Christian School. I shared with them something about the power of God. I chose to share it with you because it it blew my mind as I thought about just how big, trying to conceive of how strong God is. He's big and strong enough to create a planet called Earth. Okay, you guys ever heard of that one? All right, so you're living on it today. He created earth and it's large enough that 790 quadrillion humans can stand on the surface of the earth shoulder to shoulder at one time. 790 quadrillion. I know that's a a hard number to conceive of. It's roughly the amount of people who are at Walt Disney World every day. If you wanna know about that crowd, what that would be like, 790 quadrillion people could stand on the surface of the earth. And then God in his mighty hand took that ball called earth and he placed it the exact distance from the sun and at the exact right angle to keep all those humans on its surface from either freezing or frying to death. And he made that sun at the center of our solar system to be large enough that you could fit one million earths inside of the sun. And that sun is just a common or average sized star in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy is like any other galaxy in some regards. It's made up of billions of stars like our sun. As a matter of fact, the average galaxy in the universe has 100 billion stars in it. You know how many galaxies there are in the observable universe? Nobody knows, but there's an estimate in just what we can observe that there are 10 billion galaxies 
in the observable universe scientists can see. Here's what that means. That those galaxies are filled with stars that burn like our sun at a temperature of 27 million degrees. They spin and are held together by the power of God's hand. And there are so many galaxies with so many stars that there is one billion trillion stars in the observable galaxy. And listen, the, listen, the hand of God made them all. And the hand of God holds them all together. Now, there is a distinct break in all theology. One category is things that will not make your head explode. The other is things that will make your head explode. That goes, falls right in the category, things that will make your head explode. There's that point at which God is so strong that as we consider just how strong God is, we can't conceive of it. It's beyond anything we possibly could imagine. And when the Bible talks about the mighty hand of God, it's recalling for us, it's reminding us. It, it's, it's a call to remember just how mighty God is. And then when we move beyond that act of creation, we find that the Bible reveals that God takes that mighty hand and he uses it in the lives of people. So in Exodus chapter three, you know this, the people of God are in slavery in Egypt. And the Bible says that by God's mighty hand, He used Moses to go into Egypt and God defeated the most powerful nation on the face of the earth with the largest, most powerful army at the time. And by his mighty hand, he took his strength and he delivered his people from the slavery and the bondage that they lived in. And then you go through in Psalm 37, it describes how that mighty hand of God prepared a place for those people that had been delivered and provided for them everything that they needed, like a table of manna in the wilderness of nothing. And then he protected them by his power against every single threat that would come their way. The mighty hand of God, stronger than you can imagine, reaching down into earth and guiding people and caring for them and delivering them and providing for them and protecting for them and preparing for them a very place. And when Peter uses that word, it then becomes into the context of the New Testament where Luke chapter 1 one has this description of what God has done by sending Jesus, and it says that by his mighty hand, he has sent his son into this world. And so when we hear that phrase, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, it is a call for us to contemplate God's power, but not just his power. It's the fact that he takes that power and he uses it in, in regards to the lives of his people to deliver them, to prepare them, to provide for them, to protect them, and to bring Jesus to them. And that lets us then see that last phrase of verse 7. Notice the last phrase of verse 7. Because he cares for you. That God, guys, That God that will blow your mind if you think about him too long. That God who created heaven and earth and everything in it, who holds it all together, who has reached down throughout the history of this world and exercised the mighty power of his hand to deliver and prepare and provide and protect for his people. That same God cares about you. 
That word care is a word that means to be on, on your mind, to, to, to think about. And what Peter is saying here, and I love the picture that, that's, that's occurring here, is that as you are tempted to be anxious, as your mind is drawn to think about that thing, God is thinking about you. Is that amazing? That God is thinking about you. He cares about you. You are on his mind. He thinks about you as an, as an individual. He knows how many hairs are on your head or at least how many hairs used to be there on your head. He knows your name and has even given a special new name to each one of his children. Just think about that for a moment and let it wash over you. Let that wash over you. The almighty God who created heaven and earth. The, the God who reached down into creation and formed humans from the dust of the earth and delivered nations from bondage and slavery and guided history by his wisdom and power. That almighty God who brought Jesus into this world, that mighty God cares about you. He cares what happens to you. He cares how you feel. And while you're thinking about the thing that tempts you to worry, that God is thinking about you. That is amazing grace. And that's what Peter is, is reminding us of when he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he concludes it with, because he cares for you. One of the earliest memories that I have in my entire life is so early that I don't recall where it was. I don't even know if I could speak at the time. Um, I, I just remember being so small that I had to look up to see my dad's hand hanging down. And the, in that memory, I remember walking with my dad. So I was old enough to at least be able to toddle through the world. And I, I was walking with my dad, and I'll never forget, maybe the earliest memory that I have, I remember looking up and seeing my dad's hand hanging down there by his side. And his hand was so big, I can recall, and I vividly see this image in my mind. I could see my dad's hand and his hand was so big and my hand was so small that in order for me to hold his hand, I actually grabbed onto just one finger. You guys ever had that experience? At least with your kids that you can recall? Hanging onto just one finger and I'll never forget. I, I, apparently, I'll never forget. Thinking, man, that hand is huge. He's so strong. He's so much stronger than me. And as a child, I'll never forget the feeling I had about my dad's hand and what it represent. I thought he could do anything. And there were two ways that I experienced God's hand, or dad's hand. In my life, I experienced dad's hand. So for instance, one would, I would be in public, uh, usually in a church setting, and I would be, uh, it's hard for you to imagine this, but I'd be acting up um, a little bit. And, and dad's big, strong, heavy hand would, would rest on my shoulder, right? And he would, he would just sort of massage my neck a little bit there. And I would be reminded, man, I got strong. And I would feel that hand a certain way. In that moment, that hand was my biggest threat. But I experienced dad's hand in another way way more often. 
And it was the times where I would be out in public and dad knew that I was his kid who had an anxious spirit. I was the one who was, who was nervous about various things. And dad would know there would be times where I would feel overwhelmed about something. He would know that there was something that was just heavy in my heart or something that was disturbing to me. And in those moments, I'd also feel dad's heavy hand and it would rest on my shoulder. And without ever having to say a word, my dad would let his hand fall on me as his son. And in that moment, I was reminded he is strong. He is big. He loves me. He cares for me. And he has always take care, taken care of me and always will. And Peter says, as it concerns worry and anxiety in the lives of God's children, there's a place where we should find ourselves, a place where we live, not in rebellion to God's hand, but in humility under it, knowing there's a grace for everything we need. And that's why that second part of the big idea is that God is strong and caring, so remain humble under God's mighty hand. The main command of this verse is humble yourself. But I add to it, remain humble because humility in the life of a follower of Christ is what marks the Christian life. As a matter of fact, there is no beginning to the Christian life without humility. It requires humility in our hearts to confess and acknowledge that we're broken and sinful that we've rebelled against God and we can't make ourselves right. It takes humility for us to acknowledge we can't do all that needs to be done to make right all we've done wrong. We need someone to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. It takes humility to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you and if you don't save me, I won't be saved. If you don't do this thing in me, it won't get done. The Christian life by its very nature is marked by a humble dependence on Jesus to make us right and keep us right with God. That's why the cry of Christianity is the humble declaration, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. There is no Christianity without humility. And so when he says, humble yourselves, I I say remain humble because as followers of Christ, if we've never humbled ourselves under Jesus Christ as Lord, then we have never been saved. We are not Christians at its very core. But what the enemy of God does is he tries to coax us out over and over and over again from that place of humility that's humble under Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he he tries to coax us out from that place of humility by trying to get us to live like we're strong and that we're good and that we have to care for ourselves. At its heart, that's what anxiety is, guys. Anxiety is the tool of the enemy seeking to coax you out from living in humble dependence under the mighty hand of God and receiving the blessings that come. Or as verse 5 says, the grace that comes for all that we need through the, through the power of Jesus. And so the enemy wants you to begin to live life, not by saying not I but Christ, but saying not Christ but I. 
And that's where anxiety comes in. Now, that word anxiety is actually related to a root word that means divided or distracted. And if any of you have ever dealt with worry, you know that's the perfect description of worry. You can't focus on anything in your life because the thing you're worried or anxious about divides your attention and distracts you from it. So, so you, can't, you can't focus on your work because the things you're anxious about at home have divided your attention and distracted you from focusing on it. You can't be at a dinner table with your family. You're there physically, but emotionally, mentally, you're a thousand miles away because your brain, your mind has been divided and distracted by the things that you're worried about. And there is nothing more the enemy wants to distract you from than seeing and believing and depending on the blessings that come to us by God's mighty hand through Jesus. The enemy wants to distract you, most of all, from seeing and believing and depending on the work that Jesus has accomplished for you. So when the enemy comes into your life, he brings the temptation toward anxiety so that you would leave a position of humble dependence on Jesus and start living like, I've got to be strong. What am I going to do about it more than what has Jesus already done and promised to do? And in those moments when you're tempted just like that to step out from underneath humility in the mighty hand of God, anxiety's calling you away. Peter tells you to do something. It's there in verse 7. Look at verse 7 again. Here's that familiar phrase. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That, that word casting, and I know love you, a lot of you love the language part of this, but the main command in verse six is humble yourself. Verse seven, that word casting is a participle of that command. Here's what that means. It tells you or describes for you how you obey the command. You humble yourself by casting your anxieties on Jesus. And that word casting literally means to throw something. And I know you guys were all impressed by my throwing motion there. I should play quarterback for the Browns, but that's another story. The word throwing is what Jesus, or what the scripture uses here. And it's, it's actually used someplace else. In Luke chapter 19, that word casting is used to describe what happened when the disciples went into a village and they got a donkey for Jesus to ride on. You guys remember that story? Jesus is gonna go into Jerusalem. He goes into this village or sends his disciples in there first. They find this donkey. They bring it to Jesus. And that word casting is used there in, in Luke 19. And it says they were throwing their cloak onto the donkey. And I love that picture. They threw their coats onto the donkey like a saddle so that Jesus could ride on that donkey. And that is a beautiful picture of living with anxiety and dealing it with it. If you have ever watched someone carry a saddle to put it onto a horse, you get a really good picture of what it's like to live with anxiety. The saddles are not always light, and those times when a, a guy is shouldering that saddle and getting ready to put it onto a horse is what it feels like for many of us to live with anxiety. We are, we are attached. We are holding on tightly to something that's heavy. So something that as we hold on to it keeps us from hardly being able to do anything else effectively. There we are under the weight of that saddle. We are saddled with weight. For, for my life, there are sometimes in my battle of anxiety, I feel like I'm carrying a saddle and the horse is still attached. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Just that heaviness that is there. 
And one of the ways that we live in humility under God's mighty hand is taking that saddle and throwing it onto Jesus. Because God is strong and caring. So remain humble under his mighty hand by throwing all your anxieties on him. And I know that sounds probably familiar to many of you. But this week I was praying with a group of brothers and sisters that I pray with regularly about our gatherings in in these, these times together. And one of my friends in that meeting asked a great question as we were praying about remaining humble and throwing or by throwing all our anxieties on him. And he asked, I think, a great question. And the question was, how? Like, how? I mean, it it reminds me of that bumper sticker, let go and let God. I wholeheartedly believe that's true. I just have no earthly idea what that actually means for my day-to-day life. How do I let go and let God? How do I cast that anxiety? For most of us who struggle with worry, we can get the picture of taking that saddle and feeling that weight. We can even understand the concept of throwing it onto the back of God. But it feels like our hands are glued to the saddle. And the best thing you can manage is constant motion trying to get that weight off and the constant futility of just bringing it back on yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so how, how do we actually cast? How do we actually throw in a way that will release us from the weight of that worry? So, Here's what I want to show you, a clue from this text that I believe is at the heart of how we actually do this on a daily basis. And I want to share with you, if it will be helpful, how it has worked in my life. You can see something that I referred to a moment ago. I said that worry is a tool or anxiety is a scheme of the enemy of God, right? Here's where I get that. As Peter continues this teaching, he goes right into verse eight and look at verse eight. It's a part of the the big idea. Verse eight says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Now look at this phrase. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Here's what you need to know. The enemy of God, the devil, wants to destroy your soul. He wants to devour your life. We're going to talk more about this next time we're in this passage of Scripture. But you need to see that when Peter's talking about anxiety and and throwing it, casting it onto God, he moves straight into this teaching about the enemy of God's people and the enemy of your soul, the devil, seeking to devour you. And for those of you who struggle with anxiety, I know you just got another thing to be anxious about, right? Oh, now the devil wants to get me too. This is getting great. Here's the story. He doesn't leave with the devil's out to destroy you. He teaches how you resist the schemes of the devil. Look at verse nine. Resist him. How do you resist him? Standing firm in your faith. And I believe with all my heart that verse 9 is helping us understand how we do verse 7. How do we cast in a way that will fight or resist the schemes of the enemy? How do we do this? We do this by resting, standing firm in our faith. So, So you could even say it this way. The way I cast my anxiety on God is by standing firm in my faith. That's the how. And some of you who are really persistent in learning are going to ask another question. 
how do I stand firm in my faith, right? How do I do that? Well, here's the story. Let, let me just share with you. Some of you can relate to this. It's one thing to sit in this room and to have sung these songs and to have had these moments and encounters with people who are deeply encouraging to you and you feel good about life, you feel good about God, you may even feel good about yourself. It's a totally different thing though when you wake up in the morning at four o'clock, not because you're rested and want to be awake, but because you just rolled over long enough to start thinking. Okay, so that's what it looks like in my life. It's that four o'clock roll over, I now am awake, now I'm thinking, I started out anxious and now I'm thinking about reasons to be anxious. So what's it look like in that four in the morning anxiety when you begin to think nearly uncontrollably about your job, about your marriage, about your health, about your relationship with God? What's it look like in that moment to remain humble under the mighty hand of God by casting your anxiety on him by standing firm in your faith. Well, some of you are different than me. All of you are different than me, but let me share what it looks like in my life. When the Bible talks about faith, the Bible isn't referring to some general, kind of generic, feel-good something. It's not just the power of positive thinking the way that our culture talks about it. Faith in the Bible is an active response of our hearts to something that God has shown to be true. It's a reference to believing and depending on what the Bible says is true. So particularly, it's a reference when it calls us to believe or to have faith, it's a reference to believing and depending all that God says is true and all that he is and all that he will do for us because of Jesus. Faith in the scripture is specifically our heart's response of believing and depending on all that God says he is for us and all he says he will do for us because of Jesus. So when he says be firm in the faith, that's what he's referring to in faith. And you need to know this. The Bible is absolutely filled with truths and promises about who God is and what he will do for us because of Jesus. So let me go back to one of the illustrations that I started with in my own life. That that difficulty I would have sleeping at night. And I will tell you, here's what I was anxious about. I was afraid I was going to die in my sleep. Okay, so I'm nine, I'm 10, I'm 11. I'm getting really anxious. I know bedtime's coming. I'm getting ready to go to bed. And my heart just starts with all these what ifs. What if I die in my sleep? I'm probably going to be in trouble. What if I'm not right with God? What if I'm not saved? What if the way I treated my brothers is any indication of my spiritual state? What if, what if, what if? In those moments when I could not sleep and I go back and forth, back and forth between my parents who are trying to get some alone time and me trying to get to bed, I go down there, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. And here's what would happen, I get reminded. There's truth, son. What's God have to say about it? And so in that moment, I I would have to think, Well, God says that he so loved this world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, which is what I'm afraid of doing, not just dying physically, but being separated from God for all eternity. He will not perish, but have everlasting life. And I began to take that statement. And I began to say, 
faith statements. Firm in my faith. I believe. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe I can't make myself right. But I believe, God, that you love me. And I believe you love me, and I believe you sent Jesus to live a life I can't live. And you, you sent Jesus to die a death I should have died. And Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again. And, and I believe I'm a whosoever. I believe I'm whoever. And I believe that Jesus did that. And you said that whoever will call on your name, on the name of Jesus, will be saved as they believe and trust in him as Lord. And I believe that about Jesus. And take that faith statement and turn it into a faith response. And I would say, thank you, God. And my salvation depends on Jesus and not me. Thank you, God, that you've made this promise that I can believe. Thank you, God, that it is not about my doing. And then I'd get this other what if. What if you haven't been good enough today, Titus? What if you haven't been good enough today? And then there's Ephesians 2, 8, 9, another truth of God's word. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, not the result of works, not works you've done, lest any man should boast. And then I would have another belief statement, a faith statement. I believe that I am saved not because of any good thing. I've done or haven't done because you're gracious God and you save us so that you will be glorified and we won't boast and I would take those belief statements and turn them into faith responses thank you that it's that way God thank you that it doesn't depend on me and so here's the best I could do to 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 share with you how it is that we stand firm in our faith by casting our anxieties on him as an act of humility We release the what if of worry by resting and rejoicing in the what is of God's word. Let me say that again. We release the what if of worry by resting and rejoicing in the what is of God's word. And I hope you recognize that when you're confronted with anxiety, there's almost always a what if that's accompanied. What if I lose my job? What if I, I take the test and don't pass it? What if I have a medical test and the results come back as cancer? What, what if I never find a spouse? What if this is all there is in my life? What if, what if, what if? You take those what ifs and realize those are schemes of the enemy to draw you out of being humble under God's mighty hand. You take those what ifs, that anxiety, and you throw it on God by standing and resting and rejoicing in the what is of God's word. Let me take one more example and let's use that again in kind of a real world context. Here's a question that comes in. Here's a what if that's a worry. What if it all falls apart? Now this can have 10,000 different things in your life. Uh, For me, it might be, what if this church falls apart? What if the economy falls apart? What if our government falls apart? Indications aren't good. What if this nation falls apart? What if my health falls apart? It could be any number of things. What if it all falls apart? So we get this what if of worry. What if it all falls apart? And what do we do? Well, we take that what if of worry and we seek to cast it onto God by believing he's strong and caring. 
And I, I know that I'm supposed to stay humble under his hand, but I feel attached to this anxiety. What if, what if? I don't know what to do with the what if. So then I, I, I start to look for promises that address the what if. And all of the what ifs that I just described for you under what if it all falls apart. There are thousands of promises in God's word, thousands of truths that you could go to. I'm just gonna go to one that's in this text. It's right there in verse six of of. First Peter chapter five, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And look at this. This is, a, this is a reality that's based in a promise. It's a statement of truth for us. So that at the proper time, he being God who's mighty and caring may exalt you. You see that? That's the truth of the scripture. God at the proper time, at just the right time, not too soon and not too late, God himself will exalt you. He will raise you up. He is gonna complete the work that he began in you through Jesus. You may lose your job, but it won't all fall apart because he's going to exalt you at just the right time. He'll raise you up. The economy may blow up under your feet. It may fail, but it won't all fall apart because God says at the right time he will raise you up. This nation may crumble. Life might get tough. The test results may not come back the way that you want. It will not all fall apart because at just the right time, God will raise you up. It won't just be okay, friend. It's gonna be glorious because you're gonna be made into the very image of Jesus Christ. You will be exalted. It won't fall all apart. It can't fall all apart because the mighty hand of God holds it together for you in Jesus. That's the word of God. And you take the what if of worry and you grab hold of the what is of God's word and you, you respond with faith. Faith statements. I believe you've got this, God. I might lose my job, but it won't fall apart. I might lose my health, but it won't fall apart. For these people, for these people, I might lose my life, but it won't all fall apart because you said Jesus is going to complete this work. And you've said at the right time, at just the right time, no matter what, no matter how hard life might get at just the right time, you will raise me up and there's coming a day that I will be received into glory. I will be exalted. And you take the what if of worry and you release it by rejoicing in the what is of God's word. Thank you, Lord. I praise you for being strong. Thank you for taking care of me. So here's the story. Here's the story. All of us are tempted to leave a life of humility under the mighty hand of God by falling into the trap of worry and anxiety laid by God's enemy. And we should. We should see that God is strong and caring and humble ourselves under his mighty hand by throwing all our anxieties on him. And you'll release the what if of worry as you rejoice and rest in the what is of God's word. So rejoice today in what is true for you because of Jesus.
going to ask you to bow your heads. Let's enter into a time of response. And I want to begin by asking, has there ever been a time when you've humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God? Has there come a time where you've, in humility, acknowledged that you're broken and sinful? And you can't save yourself and you can't make yourself right. You can't restore all that's been broken by your sin. You need Jesus. If you've never called on Jesus to save you, I want to encourage you, don't leave this place. Don't even enter into the next moment without humbly acknowledging your need for Christ and humbly trusting in Him as your Lord and your Savior. Some of you need to acknowledge that you're being tempted to leave a place where you would normally say, not I, but Christ. And you're starting to live and feel and worry like it's not Christ, but I. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to be strong? How am I going to take care of this? Would you pray for faith today that you would humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God? Ask God for the truth, the reality of his word to invade your heart. And right now, specifically, you may know how you're being tempted to be anxious today. You know specifically maybe what it is in your life that you're most worried about, or at least tempted to be worried about. Right now, would you reflect on some truth of God's word to reflect on God being strong and caring that He loves you, that all will be well because at the right time He will exalt His children. Confess that you believe that. Give thanks and rejoice that it's true. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. There is something in us that only you can do, Lord. I can't make it happen. I know my teaching, my ideas, my words will never be enough. So, Lord, I'm praying for everyone in this room and those that are listening over the radio and the internet. And they have anxious hearts. I'm asking you, Lord, would you release them? Would you remind them that you're strong and you're caring? That no matter what it is that they're facing and no matter what it is that they're anxious about, you're stronger than that. And you love them in it. Would you stir their hearts to believe that it will be well? It will be better than okay. It'll be glorious because of Jesus. Father, I pray you'd guard our hearts and minds in the days that lie ahead. I pray for those who feel better in this moment but already are becoming anxious about tomorrow. God, please stir our hearts by the power of your Spirit 
to release all the what-ifs of our worry by rejoicing and resting with all the what-is of your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you love us. Father, I thank you that for the 10,000 mornings that I have woken up afraid and nervous about my day, anxious about all the things that are beyond my control. You have always been and you will always be faithful and filled with grace to broken people like me I thank you for Jesus. And I ask all of these things in his great and wonderful name. Amen.